So, uh, let's go back and continue our study in Exodus. So this morning we're going to begin another mini-series uh, in this chapter 6. Where there seems to be a lot in this chapter uh, as far as content is concerned. So um, we're going to continue our study in it and we're going to be unpacking the significance and the importance of this genealogy that we just read found in verses 14 to 25. So I don't know about you, uh, who here read the text before coming to church? Some people did. Were you asking yourself, like, what, what is this? <laughs> what, what does this have to do with the stuff that we've been discussing so far? Because before, just a week ago, or two weeks ago, we were talking about how God, even though he was doubted twice by the Israelites and by their leaders, uh, still continued his salvation plan, right? By telling Moses and Aaron, go talk to Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh, free my people. That's where we're at. So I was expecting, okay, here we go. Time for the plagues, right? Time for what the movies are showing. No, it's a, a genealogy. So what's up with a genealogy? Why place it? Here and what's the significance of it? Um, well, we're gonna see uh, tonight. Uh, no, not tonight. Today we're gonna see that. <laughs> I'm still in uh, the early morning, one hour uh, loss of sleep. I think that's what it is. So we're gonna see what this has to do um, with our study here in Exodus, right? Because if you notice, okay. The last time we were in the actual story, what did God say to Moses and Aaron? It says uh, in verse 10 of chapter 6, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall I tell Pharaoh to listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. That's the last time we were there. And then we get into the genealogy. But look at what happened after the genealogy. What did God say in verse 26? Or what did the author say in verse 26? Pretty much the same thing, right? In verse 26, it says, these are Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and Aaron. On the day uh, the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, what? Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Exact same thing. Right? So there's got to be some kind of, you know, that's, those are clues that we have to kind of work with to find out what's the significance of this uh, genealogy. Why is it? Here, why is it at this point in the story? If from the end of chapter or six six ten to six twenty six, pretty much the same thing, right? So uh, first, uh, this is what we're going to do. First, we're going to interpret, okay, the genealogy, why it's here, significance of it. Uh, once we get that down, okay, hopefully you guys are still with me. We're going to take a look at some of the characters that are mentioned, some of the names that are mentioned in this genealogy, and then we're going to see if we can learn something from Aaron's family tree. I already, I already gave out. Uh, I'm way ahead of myself. Uh, 
We're going to learn something from this genealogy, from the names of the people, uh, some of the names of the people that are mentioned here. So first, let's interpret it. Uh, and you know how we interpret uh, Scripture, right? We ask questions. We, we, we observe. So first observation question is this. Uh, again, why is this genealogy here and why is it significant? Uh, now, at first glance, it seems as though this genealogy is disrupting the narrative. It's cutting the story. Why is it there then? Uh, so we're supposed to be, uh, again, we're supposed to be at the part where Moses and Aaron uh, are, uh, confront Pharaoh for the second time. Instead, we're reading this uh, uh, Moses uh, and Aaron's ancestors genealogy. So why is it there? Uh, before we answer that question, uh, let me give you uh, some observations first. Uh, so first, let's take a look at who this genealogy is pointing to. Okay, I already said it, but let's take a look anyway. Who is this genealogy pointing to or is talking about? Right? Most biblical genealogies are used in Scripture to trace the descendants of certain people. Now, Old Testament genealogies are mostly focused on tracing back a family's history, while the genealogies in the Gospels all point to Jesus Christ. And I would argue even the genealogies in the Old Testament do. Right? All point to Christ. Now, if we were to base our observation just on the title of the genealogy, I don't know how, if you guys have titles on your Bibles, but on the title, what does it say? The genealogy of Moses and Aaron. So it's supposed to be about both of them. Um, but if you were to base that, so you'd think that this is about Moses and Aaron. But if you take a closer look, we'll see that this is not the case. So again, observation. First, this genealogy is organized by families. And these families are, or were represented by the fathers. Check out the verse, 614. These are the heads of their fathers' houses. Right? The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, and then the sons of Simi, uh, sorry, the sons of Reuben, uh, the firstborn of the father of Israel, Hanok, uh, Paul, Hezron, Camry, these are the clans of Reuben. Then the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, uh, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul. Sons of a Canaanite woman, these were the clans of Simeon. And then these are the names of the sons of Levi. So these, uh, the first thing that we have to notice is that these uh, this gene genealogy is organized by families. Uh, and these families were represented by fathers. Now, what can we learn from that? Uh, well, uh, check out this, this quote from Riken. It says, here, God holds fathers responsible for the spiritual well-being of their families. And God's best plan for the family is to show his love through the overflow of a father's so dads, okay, you have been tasked by God to lead your households spiritually. Everything traces back to the Father, if you, if you, if you look at that in the, in the Bible, right? Even with Adam, right? Who did God hold responsible for what happened in Genesis 3? Was it Eve? No, it was Adam. It's a big responsibility, Father. So I don't care how much you pass off to your wife. At the end of the day, you're going to be the one held accountable by God. You're going to be the one, not 
the wife. Right? Look up, look at Joshua, okay? Joshua 24:15. What does Joshua 24:15 say? You guys read it. Who said that? Joshua's wife? Joshua. He understood what it meant to be the leader, the father, the spiritual head of the family. I don't care what you guys do. What did he say? But as for me, my family, we will serve the Lord. Joshua knew what it meant to be the head of a household. Nowadays, more and more fathers are playing backup to their wives. They're not starting five. They're starting on the bench. They're playing backup to their wives instead of leading their families. And because of this passive attitude of men, which, by the way, was Adam's, was Adam's seed, right? some women are being empowered to take over as head of the household. What do you expect? If the man's not doing anything... Obviously, the woman's going to go, okay, let me do it. To the point where some women have taken over the household. And it's not, <laughs> that's not how God designed it to be. And I understand, I understand the women, though. Because if your man is not doing anything, what are you supposed to do? You sit there? <laughs> no. Because there is power in the prayer of women and, and mothers. We see that in the life of Timothy. We see that, right? Through the Old Testament. Um, the life of Moses, even. Right? Who was it that prepared Moses to go on the river? It's the woman. The, the mom. So, um, I understand. But, dads, does it mean that they're there? means you can just sit back and relax. No, you weren't called that way. You weren't built that way. You weren't called that way. And uh, there's a whole, new, uh, the whole new sermon on this on men. And hopefully we'll take that up in men's ministry. But um, God designed family, God designed household to be uh, taken care of and led by the fathers. Uh, didn't design the family to be structured any other way. Uh, and again, I'm thankful uh, to God that our men's ministry is once again trying to rally our men to act like men. To lead our households spiritually. That's the first thing that I want you guys to, to see about this uh, text and this genealogy. Uh, second observation. Notice how selective this genealogy is. Notice how selective the genealogy is. Is. If you were to go back in Exodus 1, 1 to 5, the author lists all of Jacob's sons who were left in Egypt after the passing of Jacob and Joseph. If you guys remember that, right? Listed all of his sons. These are the people that were left in Egypt, about 70 of them. Now in this chapter, it only lists how many of Jacob's sons? Three. Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And if you notice as well, every time it mentions that so-and-so lived 137 years, so-and-so lived uh, whatever, how many years, that's the person that is being focused on in the genealogy. You guys see that? 
Look at it again. These are the heads of the fathers, houses of Ru uh, sons of Reuben, or sorry, the head of the fathers' uh, houses. The sons of Reuben, okay, firstborn of Israel, and then it lists his sons. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, then it lists his sons. These are the, uh, these are the clans of Simeon. And then look, these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generation, Jershon, Kohath, Merari. And then it says, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. That's one clue, right? And then you keep reading. The sons of Jershon, uh, Libni, Shimei, clans of the, uh, uh, by their clans. And then it says in verse 18, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Ishar, uh, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. And then it says again, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. So who's the focus? So the focus from the first part is Levi, because it says Levi lived this long. The focus of the second part is who? Kohath, because Kohath lived that long. And then you keep reading. Uh, it says... Uh, Amram took his wife, Jochebed, in verse 20, uh, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses the years of, here we go again, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. Who's the focus again this time? Amram. So every time it mentions the father, uh, the father who dies or who lived however many years, that's the focus of the, that part of the genealogy. You guys see that? Are you guys even looking at your Bibles? I know you're all looking up here, but look at your Bibles. That's where the clues are at. It's not on my face. Uh, <laughs> all right? So look at the Bibles, because that's what's going to give us the clues that we need in order to understand this genealogy. So, again, going back to the first. Jacob's sons only mentioned Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, but Levi gets the biggest mention. Reuben and Simeon, they only got one verse each. Levi took up the rest, right? Um, so the, the rest of the verses belong to Levi and his descendants. Now, if you look at Levi's sons, same thing. The genealogy lists all of his sons, but focuses on one. Who? Kohath, right? And that's where the genealogy kind of breaks off and says Kohath had these sons, and then it focuses on one again. Who? Amram. And then uh, after that, is mentioned Aaron and Moses. So, uh, again, so if you were to look at that, how it kind of boils down, how it's focusing on the grandfather and the great-great-great-grandfather of Aaron, you can come to the conclusion that this genealogy is about Aaron. Uh, it's not about really Aaron and Moses. It's about Aaron. Um, so Riken again comments. Check it out. In other words, out of all the great grandsons of Levi, genealogy is only interested in the grandsons of Kohath. The reason for this is obvious that the genealogy is mainly about Aaron who stands at its center. So Aaron in the middle, his descendants, and then on the other side is uh, Aaron's forefathers, or grandfathers, great-great-grandfathers. But in the middle of it is 
is Aaron, right? So, um, another pointer uh, that this genealogy is about Aaron is the fact that the only two women mentioned in this genealogy is who? Aaron's mother and Aaron's wife. <laughs> so this is all about Aaron. So now, question. Why now? Why mention or why introduce Aaron in the middle of the story? Why now? Right? Well, if you remember, looking back, uh, the story has already uh, introduced the main character, the Batman, so to speak. <laughs> they already introduced Batman. So now it's time to introduce Robin. Right? So now Moses has been introduced. It took him like four chapters to introduce Moses, right? Now it's time to introduce Aaron. So I think that, that's, and that answers our question. Our question is, why is this genealogy here significant? And why is it, is it placed in this part of the story? Um, and I think it's because it shows Aaron's legitimacy as a leader and partner to Moses. It shows that Aaron came from a priestly lineage in the Levites. It shows that he's legit, is a legit leader. Um, he can lead beside Moses. Uh, and especially since Aaron's role is about to get bigger as our story uh, moves forward. Right? Starting from chapter 7 and 8, 9, okay, once the plagues come, Aaron's role becomes bigger. That's why they placed it, or the author placed it, they store this genealogy right here. Okay? Everything clear so far? Why we're here? Because one of our, Alex asked me, what happened? Why is this here? That's why. <laughs> okay? We got to introduce Robin somehow. Right? We're not just going to be, okay, Aaron's here. Okay, good. Who is Aaron? This is who Aaron is. He came from the lineage of Levi. All right? Now, what can we learn from some of the names mentioned in this genealogy? Well, uh, as we look at the family tree of Aaron, we will meet some saints and also some sinners. Okay? Doesn't mean that Aaron came from a line of priests. Everybody in his family is a saint. Okay? I'm sure, if those of you sitting here, not, not everybody in your family is a saint. <laughs> It's probably you that's not a saint. But <laughs> some, some, we're sitting here. No family is perfect, right? Anybody here we got a perfect family? You all just get along? No, right? That's why every Thanksgiving it's hard to organize. That's why every Christmas, oh, where are we going? Who's bringing what? It's hard to organize. Somebody, oh, I'm just going to bring this. I'll just bring dessert. I'll just bring drinks. Right? Because no family is perfect. Doesn't mean if you're coming from a priestly family, you're perfect. My family is not perfect. Spend one day with us, you'll see. Right? So that's what we're going to see in Aaron's family as well. Doesn't mean that they came from a lineage of priests. It means everyone in their, in their family is a saint. Some of them are also <laughs> are sinners. So no, no family is perfect, whether it's your biological family or your church family. <laughs> this is, 
No, because a lot of people are like, right? They see something wrong with the church. I don't like this person. I don't like his face. I don't like the way he dresses. Uh, 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 uh. Let me go to a different church. It's perfect there. And then when you get there, people are talking about you. Oh, who is that? <laughs> Let me get out of this church because this person moved here. <laughs> that's what's happening. People keep going because they keep looking at people. But here, the reason why we're going to look at people and we're going to look at the members of these families is because we want to learn something from them. That's what the Bible is for, right? It's for rebuke and teaching. and that's, right? It's God-breathed, right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take some of Aaron's family members, saints or sinners, and we're going to learn something from them. Uh, so let's begin with Aaron's grandfather. Who's Aaron's grandfather? Nobody listen. Who's Aaron's? So Levi's sons are who? Jerishan? Kohat? Merari. Who did Aaron's dad come from? Kohath. So who's Aaron's grandfather? Kohath. Levi is the great grandfather. Now what do you call Kohath's brothers? Who are they to Aaron? I asked my wife this. Because I put uncles. They're not his uncles. Is there such a thing as grand uncle? Because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> who would, your Lolos, if your Lolos had fathers, who are they to you? Right? In the, in the Philippines, everybody's Lolo. Uh, everybody with the gray hair is Lolo. Uh, Lolo, right? Lolo. Uh, Lolo. <laughs> as long as they got gray hair, they're Lolo. Right? But here, we got we to gotta trace it back. Who are, who are these people to Aaron? His grandfather's brothers. Who are they? Granduncles? Can we call them granduncles? Tito Lolos? Okay. <laughs> okay, you understand what I'm saying? Let's take a look at those people first. So, okay? Let's take a look at Aaron's grandfather and his brothers. Check out uh, 616. And you guys read it. These are the names. Keep reading. So those are the people who we're going to be taking a look at. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, sons of Levi. Now, again, we already know that the Levites were designated as what? Priestly line, right? In fact, they didn't even get an inheritance, according to, to Jacob. They were just called to be priests of God, worship in the worship of God. They were set apart for God's holy service. Now, after the Israelites came out of Egypt, what happened? God instructed the Israelites to build a portable tent. Right? As they were traveling from place to place, they need something portable in which to meet God in, which is the tabernacle, they call it. Right? They built a portable tent for worship, and, and God put the tribe of Levi in charge of building this tent or this tabernacle. You guys, you guys know this part of the story, right? Now, since Gershon, Kohath, and Merari were the sons of Levi, they were the ones given specific duties as far as tent of the tent of worship is concerned. 
and that those duties will be passed on to their sons and their sons' sons and their sons' 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 sons', sons. That's what they were assigned. That's what they were tasked or separated, set apart by God to do. Now, these duties were not to preach. They weren't high priests. They were just priests in the temple of worship. What do they do? Practical things. Right? What are these practical things? For example, the Jershonites were in charge of the tent's curtains. We are Jersh. Kids, but he's Herson, not Jershon. <laughs> Kyle and Kyle and John, they're gonna be t uh, curtain makers. Um, the Jershonites were in charge of the tents, curtains. Check out Numbers uh, three twenty-five to twenty-six. And the guard duty of the sons of Jershon in the tent of meeting involved the tabernacle. The tent with its covering, the screen for the entrance of the tent of meeting, hangings on the court, the screen for the door, the court that is around, the tabernacle and the altar and its courts, all service, all the service connected with these. They're in charge of that. Huh? Not yet. They were just in charge of the curtain. They're curtain designers. Okay? The Kohatites were the interior designers. Okay, Check out Numbers 331. And their guard duty involved what? The ark, the table, lampstand, the altars, vessels of sanctuary with which the uh, priest minister and the screen, all the service connected with these. Interior designers were the Kohatites. What about the sons of Merari? Who are they? Check it out. Numbers 3, 36-37. Point of guard duty of the sons of Merari involved what? The frames of the tabernacle, the bars, the pillars, the bases, all their accessories and all the service connected with these. Also the pillars around the court with their bases and pegs and cords. So who were the, what were they in charge of? Structure. The actual building, right? So as we can see, when you look at their duties, none of it was, was priestly. Nobody was called to preach or sing. or No, all they're doing was in preparation to worship God. Because that's what the tent of meeting is for, right? For God to come down and worship, to, to be worshipped by, by the Israelites. So who's in charge of building the tent? Merari's. Okay, what about the interior? Color coordinating, the ark. Okay, the ark is gold. We got to get something gold. Who? Kohatites. Curtains? Gershon. Gershon. Okay. Not Gershon. Gershon. Okay. So as we can see, serving God does not always have to involve being in the spotlight or being in the public eye like a pastor or a worship leader or even deacons and elders. You can serve God in other ways. Right? Sons of Levi shows that the service to God in any way glorifies God. What does it mean to worship God? To give Him or show His worth, right? By your action. 
to value, to treasure God through your actions. You don't just say, I love God and hate serving God. You don't say that to your wife. Or wife, you don't say that to your husband. Right? I love my husband, but ah, ah, let him take care of himself. Right? It shows. It's a display of the worship of God is that. Now, is there elements to worship? Yes. There's a lot of aspects to it. Okay? You, the people just come here and don't serve, they expect everything to be, you know, spotless, everything clean. Right? Did you guys uh, disinfect? Yeah, okay, I'm not going to go in if it's not disinfected. The washrooms, are they clean? Uh, who do you think does all those? The Holy Spirit? When we nobody here? Right? Somebody prepared these seats for you. <laughs> Somebody opened the door for you when you came in. Right? Somebody cleaned the washrooms for all of us. Who, who are those? <laughs> the sons of Levi. <laughs> these are the people in the background working so that the worship of God can carry on smoothly and in order. Right? That's, that's who our God is. That's why he set apart people for these kinds of tasks, tasks, right? Um, and these Levites, they showed, they show us that, you know, worship of God, it's not just preaching, it's not just singing. It's in these little services, these little things that we do, practical things. Uh, in fact, one of them, one of the sons of uh, Korah, uh, who came from Kohath, uh, wrote this psalm. Check it out. Psalm 8410. You guys read it. I would rather be a doorkeeper. A day in the court, a day in your courts is better. A thousand elsewhere. A song like that, right? Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. That's what these Levites are showing us. That, um, you know, serving God can be done in multiple ways. As long as it leads to the worship of God. That's our main goal as the church. Right? Everything that we do as a church leads to that. Why do we minister to our young people? So that the worship of God can continue through their generation. Because we're all going to die off. Who's going to be left? Young people. Sunday school, why do we do that? Worship of God can continue. Missions, why do we do that? Because there's not enough people worshiping God. <laughs> right? We do, whatever we do in this church, we do to that end, which is to worship and the worship of God. Uh, and the sons of Levi show us that, yeah, it could be done in any way, as long as it leads to that. Um, now, if we were to put the sons of Levi in our church context today, they would be ushers. They would be the ushers. They would be those who maintain the building. You even know who maintains our building? One person knows. You even know who? Okay, thanks. Somebody knows. So one person knows. <laughs> yeah, Leo maintains our building. Right? But there's somebody, right? Doesn't just get done by itself. Right? These are the sons of Levi. Levi. And who else? They would be the ones who would show up during fall and spring cleanup. 
They would be the ones who prepare the bulletins. Remember we used to have bulletins? They would be the ones who prepare our slides, all these things. Make sure that the equipment is working so that the service goes on smoothly. Because we can see some of your, some of your faces when something is wrong. Like, uh, oh, they showed the wrong verse. Some people are looking up there already. What, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. What's Jesse doing? Is he sleeping up there? <laughs> it's true, right? When the lyrics are late, what, what's going on? Already up there. Seats are not clean. Oh, where's, where's Guyalejo? <laughs> what's, what's going on? Right? This has, it, it disrupts worship. So what do we do? We have people like these who are doing all this stuff for us. Uh, uh, preparing the Lord's Supper. Even putting, a, you know, putting it there. That. Son of Levi. Water boy, son of Levi. Right? That used to be my wife. Uh, or, uh, well, he's not here. He, was, he got an operation. That used to be AA. <laughs> but now Philip's doing it. But that, that's what I'm talking about, right? So that the worship can go on. The, the flat, look, look. Nobody notices this. Huh? Without that, it would look bad. It looks, no, everything is gray. <laughs> right? So that, even that. Or in other words, if you have anything to do with how the worship service flows, from making sure that the gates are open, to let the cars park, to be in charge of the parking lot, shovel the snow on the sidewalks, okay, all those little things. Put down those orange cones so that people don't park there. Seriously, that can prevent worship. What if somebody has to go? Somebody's going to come up here, oh, it's, tell them this uh, license plate number, they have to move. <laughs> right? Those little things, right? Welcoming people into the building, talking to first-timers and visitors, giving them the welcome package, leading people to their seats. Showing people to the washrooms. Those are all the work of the sons of Levi. And don't think that your job is small or insignificant. Why? Because again, God takes his worship seriously. And the church's highest calling is that, to worship God. God calls and uses these faithful servants to do these little things, these practical tasks, so that myself... And those involved in leading worship can do our jobs well. They don't get mentioned that much. But they, they are the ones working in the background. I can't do this without those guys over there. And now elders and deacons are, are coming and help during the worship. This is not going to get done without them. Now how does it filter down to you? That's my question. That's my challenge for today. How does it filter down to you? I pray, Pastor. I pray in the background. I'm always praying. That's good. Yeah. But that's like professing faith and not doing anything. I love God, but I don't want to serve God. That's what we're taking up in uh, Wednesdays, right? Right? The Wednesday prayer meeting people. Is that what we're taking up? 
Knowing God, but, oh no, believing in God, but don't really know Him because of the way we approach service. That's what it is. You can't just keep professing. You can't just say, I, I believe, I believe, I believe, and it's not doing anything to you. Because if, if, that, if that's the case, this is a waste of time. If that's the case for all of us, this is a waste of time. Because that's all I'm telling you. Right? From this word to your ears. And then faith activates action. Right? So now, ask yourself, where does this type of worship from the sons of Levi filter down to you? Where does it filter? Do you at least encourage people to do this? I know some people, I'm praying, I'm praying. That's great. Good. But what if we need help? Are you there? Will you show up? Will you, right? Will you volunteer? Will you? You know the stats on church service, right? 80-20, right? You know the 80-20 number? 80% just come and go. 20% are the only ones who are doing the, all the work. It's not going to work. <laughs> We're not going to be able to sustain if we don't unite in faith and then show our worship with the way we value God through our actions. Whether it be giving, okay? Those of you, I, I give. Yeah, okay, good. That's that's a service. I support the leaders. I come. I, I, I do this. I, yes, that's good. And that's all driven, faith-driven service. I'm not telling you to do that so you can be saved. That's not what I'm saying. But if you are, and you're a son of Levi, but this is you. Some of you are being called this way. Some of us don't want to do it. I don't want to do that. I want to sing. I want to be at the front. Uh, not all of us are called to be up here. And you don't want to be up here anyway. <laughs> be held more responsible, more accountable. Right? So I think this is what we can learn from the sons of Levi. And their descendants never stopped serving the Lord in practical ways. There are always Levites serving at the temple, worshiping God and helping others to worship God all day and all night. Check out First Chronicles 9, 33 to 34. And I want you guys to read this as well. Can you guys read it loud? Day and night they were there. They never stopped. Spurgeon wrote, and I quote, When night settles down on a church, the Lord has his watchers and holy ones still guarding his truth, and these must not be discouraged, but must bless the Lord even when the darkest hours draw on. Right? You guys know the Titanic? When he was sinking, who was the last ones off the boat? The crew. <laughs> right? Captain even stayed on. They got all the passengers on the boats. Crew stayed. 
That's what we're, we're pretty much a lifeboat here as a church. This is where we're trying to rescue people from eternal damnation. Who's our crew? Who will stay on? Who will serve faithfully? You're a son of Levi. You, you, you come from that descendant. That's you. And we thank you for that. And God will. Don't forget, God blessed the Levites, even though they didn't get any inheritance, no land. He, they were blessed. And I can say the same thing for me. Right? That's why my dog's name is Levi. Priest, dog, Levi, priest. So think about that. Now, next week, we're going to take a look at the lives of Phineas, Aaron's grandson, Korah, not Phineas and Ferb. I know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I know who Phineas you're talking about. <laughs> Phineas, Aaron's grandson, Korah, Who's Korah? Aaron's. Our grandson Korah, Aaron's cousin, and Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's eldest sons. Who are the saints? Who are the sinners? I hope to see you here again. Amen? Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon Just unto you and be gracious.